hear the word of God. Uh, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. Shall we turn to the Lord in prayer? Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. Even reading through it is sweet. And now Lord, we ask that preaching through it may also be very, very sweet, not just to our ears, but also to our hearts, turning our wheels and conforming us to the likeness of Christ. Please do hear us, Lord, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm sure most of you have uh, had this experience with uh, health, wealth preachers. And uh, various benefits are put forward to us or to you as the benefits that you get by being in Christ. Suddenly those benefits tend to be very temporal, very material, and really unsatisfactory. But that's not to say that there are no true benefits upon uh, the children of God. There are. And so today I want us to see from the text that we've just read the benefits of justification by faith alone. Because there are benefits of justification. In fact, one of the questions that come uh, after the, the number of questions on our catechism, on the Baptist catechism, uh, after asking what is justification, what is sanctification, what is adoption, then the question is asked, 
what are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, sanctification, and adoption? What are those blessings? The answer is, the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and, sanct uh, and adoption, excuse me, justification, adoption, and sanctification are, one, assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. So if you're truly a child of God, you would know assurance of God's love. And we'll talk about that. It's there in verse 5. Peace of conscience. It's not quite there, but uh, it's a necessary consequence of having peace with God. Because when there is peace with God, then there will be peace of God. And then there is joy in the Holy Spirit. And we'll consider that, whether, whether in the future glory or in the present afflictions, there is joy. And that's a benefit. And then there is increase of grace and perseverance therein to the end. There's no doubt, no doubt whatsoever, that our faith is not an empty faith. Our faith is loaded with benefits and blessings and privileges throughout. These benefits should make unbelievers, not just envious, but should make them want to have them too. And they should realize how, how much they are missing out. And they should, with a new vigor, seek the Lord while he may be found. And these benefits and blessings and, and privileges should make every child of God full of thanksgiving and joy. It should energize our love for the Lord and our zeal to serve him more and better. It gives us great comfort to know that these benefits are permanent. They are irrevocable. And these benefits are not attached to any condition that you give so much and then you will get back so much. It's, there is no business you can do with God. They are free. They are by grace. So chapter 5 then of the book of Romans opens with a new word. Therefore, since, therefore, since we have been justified by faith alone apart from the works of the law. Therefore, so what has been said previously is being considered now. What is the outcome of being justified by faith. 
What, is, what are the results? What are the benefits? What are the consequences? I noticed that I lost you because uh, I think the, Avi, you gave them my points too early. So everyone is busy writing and not listening to me at all. Please hear this. So these are the implications of justification by faith alone, apart from the works of the law. So they are very, very fairly divided up. Five points out of these five verses. First of all, the first benefit is that we have peace with God. We have peace with God. We are permanently reconciled with God through the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1. Number 2. Through Christ, we have obtained unlimited access by faith into all the riches of His grace in which we stand. Number three, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Then verse 2b. And then we rejoice in our sufferings because of what sufferings do to our character. Number four, we have uh, number five, we have hope that does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. These permanent blessings fully, that are fully dependent on God since we only receive them by the hand of faith in Christ are the benefits that we must never be tired of hearing about. So here they are in detail. So we have peace with God. What does that mean? Now that we've been declared righteous because we believe in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. In other words, we've been reconciled with God. The Lord is very clear in His Word that there exists this great hostility and enmity between an infinitely holy God and totally depraved sinners. Sin estranged all human beings from God, and sin created a barrier that can only be overthrown by the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no way a sinner can pull down that barrier, that wall of hostility between him and God. There is no sinner, no mere man can please God. And you know, as the old of Hebrews says, Hebrews 11.6, without, uh, without faith, there is, it's not possible, it's impossible to please God. So there is this hostility between men, all men, all human beings with God. 
There's no way God can be pleased with sinners who have rejected his law and are rejecting the gospel. There is no way God can smile at a sinner who breaks his law willfully. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, Paul writes. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That's what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. And in case you missed it, he says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Therefore, he tells the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are fully to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's the condition of everyone who is not a believer. The hostility may not be boiling hot and be felt by your emotions. The hostility may not be discernible because of your dad and uh, your dad to sin and blind to sin and completely enslaved to sin. But that's a condition. So if you're not saved, you may not feel this, you may not see this, you may not hear it, but your condition is that God is displeased with you. God is hostile to you. You are God's enemy. And so James writes, and he says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. So it is sin. It is sin that brings this hostility and enmity between us and God. Sin produces guilt which enstrages us to God. Sin bears this enmity with God so that we flee from him just like Adam and Eve did when they sinned against him. But justification, justification is an act of God's grace wherein he graciously pardons all our sins. In justification, God accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So having been justified by faith alone, that hostility, that enmity is done away with. And in, in, its, in its place, there is not just friendship. There is not just calmness. There is love, as we will see. And God's love is 
poured into our hearts like a flood. After justification, God does not treat us as wicked prodigals anymore, but instead adapts us into his family and bestows upon all his children all the rights and privileges of the sons of God. That's what happens. You who was a child of wrath becomes a child of God. Because now that you've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We are reconciled with God. We are befriended to God. After grace is given, we have life in Christ and are made God's children. The faith holds God's hand as our Father and our friend. Faith trusts and depends upon God and upon His Son who has made the mediator between God and us. Because the Bible says, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The man Christ Jesus is the mediator, and he has brought us to God. We who are far off, we who are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, we've been brought near. We've been brought near by his blood, brought to God. So peace with God means that we've been reconciled with God. We have been made God's children, adopted into his family. And you notice that this reconciliation is only and only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, he says. In John 14, verse 6. So the reconciliation is only and only through, by the means of our Lord Jesus Christ. For while we were still enemies, the Bible says, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. And now we can say, that now, having been reconciled to God, we shall be saved by Christ's life. So more than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's what he says in conclusion in verse 10 and 11. This is not from us. This is not from your relatives. This is not something that can be achieved by giving or by paying some alms or penances or indulgences. No. This is from God. It's a work of grace. This is not about planting a seed and receiving this blessing. This is the work of God's grace. All these is from God, the Bible says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20. So you're reconciled to God, and you are made an ambassador of reconciliation. You're reconciled to God, with God, and you become adopted into his family. You become his. And behold, you become a witness of this resurrection. You have to go now telling others, of the wonderful reconciliation that there is by the blood, by the means of the blood of Christ. You cannot keep quiet. And if you're keeping quiet about it, we ask, have you really been reconciled to God? Have you been made an ambassador of this ministry of reconciliation? Or are you joking? That's the first benefit. We have peace with God. There is no more enmity with God. There is no more hostility with God. Number two, we have access to his grace in which we stand. Through Christ, we have, we have obtained unlimited access by faith into all the glorious riches of his grace. It is through our Lord Jesus Christ that we have peace. And it is through him, that is through Christ, that we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and in which we rejoice. There is nothing good withheld by God in his treasury. God, in the treasury of his grace, he opens it wide. The barrier is withdrawn, the hostility is not there, and now you are welcomed into his house, and you are shown all the wonder of his wealth. And you are told you can have it, you can have it all, and have it now, into his kingdom. You're given full access to enjoy from all the bounty of God's goodness, which is what we had last Sunday, of the goodness of God. So when you get saved, this is what happens. You are adopted into his family. And the house of God is opened. And he shows you his children. And he shows you his family. And he gives you key into every room and allows you to go and eat anything you want and have anything you want in his house. That's what would happen when a child is adopted into any family, isn't it? They, they have access into the house and they are allowed to... Eat whatever is there in the house and enjoy all the blessings 
and privileges of sonship. Think about that. We were alienated from God. Children of wrath, to be precise. But now Christ has not only conquered all the enemies of our souls, but he has also enriched us with his righteousness and brought us to access all that he asks for us. Think about that. By granting us this access, he has given us all the resources to access it. You know, all the keys. Remembering that in our state of sin, we were enslaved. We were blind and lame. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But now, the Lord in his loving kindness granted us his righteousness. And now, access. He gives us a position in which we stand in his favor. Our dignity and honor have been fully and well secured. We stand firmly and safely upheld by God's power. In this state, we are not only admitted into this grace, but also confirmed and secured. And so, dressed in royal robes of righteousness, with divine favor, we can address God. We can commune with him. We can walk with him. We can fully enjoy the blessing of his presence. We are now his forevermore. And so, we have access. We can call him Abba Father and tell him what we need. And this calls us then to what the order of Hebrew says. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 This should encourage our prayer life, my friends. It should encourage us to know that we have better access to the throne of grace than Esther of old. The scepter, Esther had to wait for the scepter of the king to be lifted up even though she was the queen. For us, the scepter is not just lifted up. It is lifted up permanently so that we can come in. Actually, the scepter is not just lifted up. It's that we reign with Christ. We reign with him. The king of kings will listen to our petitions and answer our prayers with favor. Since God will always hear us, we should pray more fervently. Having this access means that our prayers are received and answered with favor every time, always. So we have access to his grace in which we stand. And the question is, why do we not make good use of this grace? You know, if you're told that you have the favor and access into 
the kitchen, and you may come in anytime and go eat whatever you want. You know, sometimes when I, when I travel and I'm with brethren, gone children, I am shown around the house and I'm told, here is the kitchen, here is the pantry, whatever you want to cook, go into the fridge, get whatever you want. It feels very privileged. It is. That's what God has done for us. But for us, many times are, you know, we are there, wishing, well, yeah, if I do, hungry, despondent, tired, in need, and not making use of the access that we have into his grace. That should be shame on us if we continue in that state, knowing that we have access, unlimited access for that matter, into the throne of God, to the throne of grace. Number three, we rejoice in the hope of glory. And I need to, need to, you need to look at what Paul is doing there. So, he, say, he said that we are reconciled to God and we have access. And Guess what is the first thing that we access in grace? It's nothing here on earth. It is? It's glory. He makes this huge jump into the glory. We rejoice in the hope of glory. You know, as soon as he said, in which, into this grace in which we stand, no, 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 no. We are not standing. We have leaped into glory. And the word translated rejoice, listen to this, is not really the word for joy or rejoicing. It is the word usually translated boasting or glorying. So the word is loaded with a, with a heavy sense of celebration, even ecstasy, which is beyond the levels of joy. And what is the motivation for this kind of celebration? It is the hope of glory. Which means that it can also be translated that we in glory now in glory. You get that? We glory now in glory. Because we rejoice in the hope of delightful glory that awaits us in eternity. First of all, let me say that Christians are people of joy. Christians are not gloomy people. Christians are people of joy. And you see that this throughout the scriptures. You know, for example, David, while in prayer, told God, you have put more joy in me, more joy in my heart, than they have when their grain and wine abound. That's Psalm chapter 4, verse 7. Joy is the second nature of God's people. More than that, 
It is this kind of joy that is found in believers, not because of the present circumstances, but because of what is to come. It is more than any joy that can be found among unbelievers. Christian joy and delight springs from hope eternal. And that's a song that we're going to sing uh, later on. It's a very new song. So Christian, Christians are people of joy. That's why calling your daughter joy is such a nice thing, or Joyce. We rejoice in God. We are people of joy and we rejoice in God. Not, we, we don't so much rejoice in our, in our circumstances as we do rejoice in God. Again, David captures this in Psalm 16 verse 11. He says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because God is the source of Christian joy. And heaven will be a place of joy because God will be there. And he will enrich his people with greater joy. Even joy than we have ever known. Joy that cannot be well, uh, well defined by the word joy. The best word for it, for it is love. And then we rejoice in our salvation. Salvation is the other reason why Christians are people of joy. In great celebration of what the Lord has done in us and for us in his son. Again, David says this in Psalm 20 verse 5. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord, may Yahweh fulfill all your petitions. It is true that this joy is the joy of salvation. But this joy, I need to say, may be lost when we sin. And so, after David sinned in his repentance in Psalm 51, what did he ask for? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So when you sin, this joy may be hampered, may be affected. But when we repent, the Lord does restore. And we should always seek this joy of our salvation. But then we also rejoice in hope. Our joy now is because of what awaits us in the future, the glory of God. God has not just promised us glory. We are as good as glorified, aren't we? You know what Romans 8.30 says? That golden chain of salvation he foreknew you before the foundation of the world and predestined you to be conformed to the likeness of, of his son. Verse 29. But then, those whom he foreknew, what did he do with them? 
Yes? What did he do with them? He justified. And whatever else happens in between calling and, and the rest of it, it says, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. It is in the past tense. It is done. It is finished. So he will not reject us at some point and say, I'm tired of having you go your way. God is not going to say that. God is not going to reject us even when we die. He will not reject us even when Christ Jesus shall return and fold up his, this age and this universe. Instead, he will welcome us into his glorious dwelling place, not just as subjects of his kingdom, but as his children, his own dear children, children of his family. And so the confidence of the future, hope of glory, is communicated by the word translated rejoice. We boast, we glory, now as if we are glorified. Boasting that is based that is not based on human power or ability. It is boasting in the Lord, which is the true form of worship. And so boasting in future glory is only based upon what the Lord has done in us, for us, and with us. So we rejoice in the hope of glory, of the glory of God. Number four. So. Paul has leaped with us all the way to glory, but then he says, no, you're not dead yet. We rejoice in our sufferings because we are still in a fallen world. We rejoice in our sufferings, is what he says there. More than that, more than that joy, more than that glory, of the glory of God, we rejoice even right now in our present circumstances of affliction. We boast. Remember that word is boasting. We glory in our sufferings now. We boast in our afflictions. Yes. We boast in our sufferings because we know from the word of God what the sufferings do with us, with our character. The outcome of our suffering is the motivation for our rejoicing and glorying, even boasting in our suffering. So the question is, what is it about this suffering? That's three and four. It is that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So if you're going to have this hope of glory, then you need to suffer right now. Because you see, these momentary afflictions are nothing in comparison to that weight of glory that awaits us. The present momentary afflictions are the backdrop upon which the future glory is going to be laid. 
So in these two verses, and, and, and I would also say that about, the, about rejoicing in the hope of glory, he has just one phrase. But when it comes to rejoicing in our present suffering and afflictions, he has a number of things to say because he knows your objections. He knows what, you, what is going on in your mind right now. Oh, I know that I'm a child of God and I'm not supposed to suffer. Now, yes, you're a child of God, but that bit about not supposed to suffer, I don't know about that. Because you see, suffering has work to do in your sanctification. And you know that whereas prosperity is all prone with dangers, suffering is likely to bear this fruit. And so he says, suffering produces endurance. In fact, it can be said, affliction produces perseverance. So if you're going to persevere in the faith to the end, you need suffering. Because suffering produces endurance and perseverance. So he says, more than that, over and above that, not only that, but also we glory in the tribulation. Our delight and our joy is not only pegged upon prosperity and health. It's not, even, it's not just pegged. In fact, it's not even pegged on the future glory. It is pegged on the present affliction. Present trials, present tribulation, present troubles, present temptations. There's nothing. That, is, that can possibly diminish Christian joy. Inasmuch as we try to avoid afflictions, and yes, we should try to avoid them, they are not pleasant, yet we know the Lord uses them to have spiritual muscle to deal with various challenges in this life so that we may persevere to the end. Afflictions or tribulation or trouble produces. And you notice it produces and keeps on producing. It produces, it keeps on doing it. Endurance or perseverance. Because you see, perseverance is not something that you do once. Perseverance is persevering, persevering all the way. It is those who will persevere to the end, who will be granted as John writes to the churches. So as trouble persists in our lives, we are strengthened in the circumstances, in boldness and confidence to remain steadfast under trial. Our patience is solidified. Our manliness is established. Our bravery is emboldened. Our courage is surer. And in all this, our character is improved. You cannot have perseverance of faith without afflictions. Therefore, we rejoice 
when we are faced with trials of various kinds, for we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, so that we should be complete, lacking in nothing, as James says. James 1, 2. Suffering produces endurance. Number two, endurance itself produces character. And that word character can also be translated experience. Character is forged on the anvil of endurance. Character and experience are CME's twins which are birthed by perseverance, by endurance. Endurance is the mother of character. Character in mind here is that which fears God rather than man. True character lives for eternal life rather than for the transient and the temporal. Character is persevering and going on in consistency, being dependable, aligned to God's will. Character in the sense that it does not give up easily. Character in the sense that it does not give up at all when it is set on pursuing true life, eternal life. Character is well demonstrated in a life of faithful endurance. So then I, I ask you, do you desire a godly character? Then learn to persevere in all circumstances of life. And as you gain experience in these things, you would be a mature Christian. So there is suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint us. So when a person has gone through a character transforming experience, they are likely to be more established in their hope. For he who has been well trained and his good character formed, have successfully gone through the approbation and will be well set to put his hope as his anchor. And this hope is not some, you know, wishy-washy stuff. This hope is a sure hope. It is established on Christ. This experiment or approbation is not so much the ground as the evidence of our hope and a special friend to it, as Matthew Henry says. So hope that is formed out of our character of endurance will not be put to shame and it will not put us to shame. It does not disappoint it does not deceive. It has been well tried and tested and proved to be enduring. Therefore, 
This hope does not disappoint, for it does not fail. Our hope is still solid. Lastly, God's love has been poured into our hearts. Another benefit of justification by faith alone is that there is assurance of God's love. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Hope which does not put, put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, just as our salvation is produced by the triune God, the benefits of our justification that we receive are also received from the triune God. You've heard of God the Father, God the Son, and now God the Holy Spirit. Paul is not saying that love for God prevents us from experiencing disappointment or shame. I repeat, Paul is not saying that love for God prevents us from experiencing disappointments or shame. He's not saying that. Rather, he is talking about God's love for us, not our love for God. And this love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We notice that this love is not just given. It is not just obtained. It is poured. You know, when you're pouring, you're not holding anything back. Pouring is when you put water into a basin. Wide mouth, open. And then you pour. God's love has been poured into our hearts. It's very interesting that it has not been poured into our flesh or into our minds. It has been poured into our hearts. Meaning that it cannot leave the heart once it has been, it is given in such a high measure. God's love in us through the Holy Spirit fuels and energizes and animates and empowers our hope and gives us confidence and boldness in our faith so that we press on in perseverance, in affliction, until the full realization of all these promises. And the lavishness of his love must not be missed. And it should cause us to be more in love with God. So that even when we are faced with any form of pressure or trial, we remain steadfast. The profuse love of God is in such measure that we need to pray to have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of it 
Because the Bible says that it surpasses all knowledge. That's what Paul prays for the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, 19. It is so lovely, so reassuring to know that God's love given is not going to be withdrawn. God's love given is not going to die out. God's love given is sure and eternal. So Paul later on asked the question, for who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? That's verse 35. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Then he says, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. Let me give you five straightforward applications. Number one, great assurance you've got out of these verses. And the theme of assurance will now run all the way up to the end of this doctrinal section of the book of Romans. So beginning from Romans 5, he will work out your assurance of faith one stroke after another. He will even look at your, your, your own temptations in chapter 7. Eventually, he will tell you, no, 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 no. You need to be assured of your faith. I know that some of you lack assurance of faith. You know, you sin and you wonder, am I really a believer? I really been washed in the blood of the Lamb? You lack assurance. You're destabilized. But I want to assure you, if you've believed in Christ Jesus, if you have believed in Christ Jesus, no more sleepless nights again with the doubts and fears because you hear that there is peace with God. Battles, all the running battles with God are done away with. All hostilities and enmity with God is withdrawn. You remember the story of the prodigal son. In all his insecurities at home, he decided to go away. And in his foolishness, he squatted everything he got from his father and lived in sin. But then the Bible says, after he was done with his sinning, coming back to the father, that is in repentance, the Bible says that the father saw him from far away and his love for him was there. There was no hostility. He was embraced. 
And then secondly, it's a great blessing for God to be accessible to us. My prayer then is that we would be more deliberate in communing with him. Not just in prayer, but also in praise. And in listening to his instructions. Communing with him throughout. Meditating on his word. Commune with God because he is accessible. Walk with God like Enoch. Or you think that is impossible? Is it possible for you to walk with God like Enoch? It is. Number three, we rejoice. For the glory is ours. The joy must not be diminished by the present because, of the, because there is this wonderful prospect of glory. And on this, on this point, I want to tell those people who have been uh, very afraid of dying, very afraid of death, please listen to this. When we rejoice or glory in the hope of glory, what does that mean? It means that we should desire to die, not be afraid of death. Some of us are very, very afraid of death. And you hear death and you think, oh, poor me, I'm going to die. I've contracted COVID, I'm going to die. For I have this terminal illness, I'm going to die. Yeah, we are all going to die sometimes. But the good news for a believer is that he is not going to die and suffer loss. It's going to be great gain for him, great gain for her when you die in the Lord. Because then you will access that glory in its fullness. Please, please, please. I know that the, the, the world has been trying to sell a product called fear in these last two years of a COVID. And they've been very successful, by the way. Many people have been so terrified of death that they don't go to church anymore because they are fearing death. And I want to commend the elderly in our midst who are not fearing death and are not staying away from church because there is COVID. Please, if you are in Christ and you die in Christ, it's fine. It's fine. Eventually, we shall all die. And in any case, those who die in the Lord do not die. They go to be with the Lord. Number four. How much eager are we with regard, for, with regard to our sanctification? Our sanctification must take place whether we like it or not. Our sanctification must take place by all means, by prosperity and sometimes by poverty. Our sanctification must take place sometimes in health and some other times in sickness. Our sanctification must take place 
in all circumstances. All circumstances. But I know sometimes we sit down and think, oh, that sanctification may only take place in my soul, in my prosperity. And we don't want any affliction. Look, afflictions should be our friends because they come every now and then. And sometimes it's a pain of loss. Sometimes it's a pain of pain. Sometimes it's all sorts of danger and threat to life. You know, with illnesses. But what we need to be assured of is that the Lord is on our side. And lastly, what is better than to be loved by God? It's a, very, it's, a, it's a great thing to be loved by your father and by your mother, isn't it? It's a great thing to be loved by your husband or by your wife. It's a wonderful thing to find a young man pledging his love for you as a young lady. Or if you're a young man, to find a lady who wants to love you. But let me tell you, to be loved by God for God to open up all the taps of love in heaven and flood your heart with love is far greater and better and higher and greater. Because you see, human love may come and go, but God's love remains the same. No change, Jehovah knows is what we serve. So in conclusion, being a Christian is the best thing that can happen to you. Are you listening to that? Being a Christian is the best thing that can happen to you. For then, all the blessings of God are poured in a divine measure to you. And not being a believer, not being a Christian, is such a loss. It's such a loss because then you disqualify yourself from the promises of God. You hinder yourself from all the promises and all the riches of God. Imagine, unbelievers lack peace with God. Unbelievers have no access to God. They cannot commune with God. Unbelievers cannot glory in the glory of God. They lack the joy in affliction. They, they lack joy in affliction. They do not know of God's love. What a loss for them. What a loss. And so I ask you, God's invitation letter is held out to you. Come to Christ and be saved. All the ends of the earth. Come to him today. Come to Christ and be saved without any more delay. 
And you believer who is sunk in despondency and hopelessness, I don't know what kind of a believer you are. Find your strength in Christ. Let's rise up to sing this hymn. Now let me say a few things regarding the hymn that we want to sing. It's a very, very new hymn. It's been composed this year. What is our hope in life and death? Uh, it's a song composed out of the, Hilde, uh, the, the Edelberg Catechism. And questions are asked and questions are answered. Let's rise up to sing with this mindset that we have been redeemed and we should love to proclaim it. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hand? What comes above for
<coughs> if there are two words that we will uh, sing here on earth and in glory, is that word hallelujah and Christ. Those will always be, be there. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are ours because you have made us yours. And regardless of what we may be going through right now here in affliction on earth, yet we are sure of this. That your, your, your eternal love for us is undiminished, is unending, is unfading. We are confident that neither life nor death neither the present nor the future. Nothing in all the earth is able to separate us from your love. Help us then, Lord, to live as those who have, uh, who truly possess these, these benefits, these blessings, these privileges that I've spoken about. Help us, Lord, to have that true joy in our hearts, even when we go through difficulties. And I pray for those, those who are here and are yet to know of your saving grace and your saving mercies will be convicted and see how much they are lacking, how much they are depriving themselves of, that they may turn to you now and leave. For us who have believed, invigorate our love for you. Remind us of the confidence that we have in accessing your grace because of the peace that we have with you. Lord, we would learn to commune with you closely and we would be dearer to you and you would be closer drawn to us every day. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Man, there is a real man with walls still gaping wide, from which three streams of blood once ran in hands and feet and sight. Tis no wild fancy of our brains, no metaphor we speak. The same dear man in heaven now reigns, that suffered for our sake. This wondrous man of whom 
we tell is true, Almighty God. He brought our souls from death and hell, the prize his own heart's blood. That human heart he still retains, though thrown in highest glee, and feels each tempted member's pains from our Come